0: Hi, um, my name is Adam. I've been involved in the college group um, for my four years of college. Um, Luke 23:33 through 34. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified. One on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Father, forgive them. Jesus is dying. And he says the most characteristic thing of Jesus. That I think sums up his attitude and disposition towards us. Towards our friends. And towards those we don't like. Towards sinners. Haters, thieves, exploiters, warmongers, murderers, Father, forgive them. And why do we find this passage so Jesus? Because in every recorded moment of his life, we saw forgiveness rather than fight. Sensitivity to the brokenhearted, wide open inclusion to the outcasts of society. And empathy to his friends. And even to his enemies. Because this is Jesus we're talking about. Our violent world has promoted a mentality that says, protect me and mine. It often unabashedly claims people as enemies. Us versus them. We are encouraged to fight back, to fear, to hold on to our suspicions. Because if our suspicions are right then we'll be on the upper hand. These ideas seep into my mind and encroach on my idealism. And I wonder sometimes if they're true. But when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, he denies all of my perspectives that are based in fear and self-sufficiency and confirms my hope that love isn't beat by hate. My hopes that he does actually have his arms wide open and that he really does freely forgive. And he fuels this growing suspicion that I have that behind everything in our universe guiding it all is his love. Even as he is being crucified, he forgives. This passage reminds me that the Jesus who hung on the cross is the same Jesus who knelt in the dirt and used humility and empathy to save a woman from being stoned. He is the same Jesus who reaches for the leper and the same Jesus who loves us so much and cries with us as we cry. This is the Jesus who is dying on the cross.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Rachel. Um, I started coming to Mission Church about a year and a half ago. Um, through the post-college group, I found a community who really loves Jesus and started coming to the church because of that, Um, and now I'm uh, helping out with the college group with our crazy pastor Jeff, Um, and I'm talking today about paradise, um, Luke 23, 39 through 43, so I'm going to read that really quick. Um, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Christ Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we getting we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So if we actually go back to verse thirty-two, it talks a little bit more about the criminals. Um, And if we go to the Gospel of Matthew, who also recounts the story, it says that both criminals were actually robbers. Um, They both had committed the same exact crime, and I really like that because it lays out the passage as equals for them. Um, They both had committed the same sin, and so many times as humans, I think we want to compare um, and be like, oh, this person, he deserved it because he did this or this one didn't deserve what he got because he did this and so many times we want to compare ourselves to other people's as well but God lays them on the same playing field and says they're both sinners in need of God's forgiveness and it's interesting because sin is an equalizer for all of us Um, we're all on the same playing field we're all sinners and we're all in need of God's forgiveness and um, there is something different about them though if we go back to verse 39 Um, And read, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And the difference between them is the condition of their heart. One came with a hardened heart against Jesus, and the other came with a humble heart before him. He had a heart of repentance. And this is a beautiful picture of the simplicity of God's forgiveness that we are offered daily. He said to the criminal next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't ask him to first go back and give back what he had stolen. He didn't first say, turn your life around and become a better person and then come to me. He just said, come as you are, and you're welcomed into my family. Um, Not only did he welcome the criminal as he is, but he welcomes all of us as we are. And... The invitation isn't open for only certain people. It isn't only open for good people. It isn't only open for the rich people. It's open to all of us. Um, what I also love about this passage is an incredible grace that um, God shows to us. And maybe today you are struggling with um, His forgiveness, the forgiveness that He gives. Sometimes we know that He's forgiveness, but we don't accept it. I Jesus has spoken a lot to me about forgiveness this week, and um, I remember a time in my life where I felt like, well, I was repentant of something that I had did, and I knew that God had forgiven me, but I had trouble accepting that. I felt like I needed to punish myself, and I, it was a burden. It was it, it held me down, and eventually, a friend came to me and she's like, "Why do you keep puni- punishing yourself for this? You know, God, He forgave you, and He doesn't remember your sin anymore." And um, in Hebrews ten seventeen, it says their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. Jesus is um, the Savior who forgives and forgets. He doesn't remember your past sins. He doesn't remember ones that you've asked for forgiveness for, and he um, that's the work that he did on the cross. He took our sin and shame upon himself, and he remembers them no more. Um, there's a story that I really like of a teacher who was talking to her students, and she held up a glass of water. I didn't bring water because I was afraid I would spill it, but I brought a water bottle. Um, She said to the students, how much, how heavy does this um, glass of water look like? And they're like, oh, it's probably like four ounces, eight ounces. And she's like, it doesn't actually matter how heavy it is. It matters how long you hold on to it. If you hold on to it for a minute, it's not really a problem. It's not heavy. Hold on to it for five minutes; it's not really heavy either. But once you hold on it, hold on to it for about a day, it becomes um, your arm becomes numb, and it eventually will paralyze you. And that's the same thing when we hold on to our problems and don't freely receive the, the forgiveness that Jesus gives us; um, it paralyzes us. But He has come, and He came to break the chains of sin, of sin that hold us. And he gives us true freedom. I heard a phrase this week that said, by his wounds we are healed. And never have I really thought about that phrase and how much weight it holds, but he came to bring true healing. And his grace runs deeper than anything we could have ever done. Um, In studying this passage, it also put one more thing into light for me. And that is um, that Jesus came and he died among two criminals who were nobodies. He died on a hill that wasn't special. He could have put himself on a glorious hill in, in front of famous people, but that wasn't Jesus. He was humble. And um, he just as humble as his entrance into the world was his death. And this is the ministry that he did. He reached out to the sinners, the people of society who don't deserve a second chance and who society says aren't important. He reached out to you and to me. And in showing us this, this grace, I believe he invites us into the same ministry, a ministry of showing love and grace to those we feel undeserving.
2: Um,
1: because he has shown us this grace, we are able to extend it to others. And he invites us to hang out with the nobodies, to love people that society doesn't love, the homeless, the Muslims, your neighbor, the person who you, who didn't vote for the same president you did, your family member, your parent, your coworker, and even your pastor. And so I think that during this time of Lent and Easter, it's important to remember not only what Christ did on the cross, but the forgiveness that he gives each one of us. Um, so I think when he's talking about paradise um, and he says to the, the criminal, today you will be in paradise with me. I don't know much about paradise, but I think that paradise is getting to spend eternity with Jesus.
3: Hi, my name is Tyler, and I'm a part of the post-college group. I've been going to mission a little over four years now. We're reading from John 19:25 to 27. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said, to, he said to this disciple, here's your mother. And from then on, his disciple took her into his home. It was really awesome. Um, there's a few things to note in this passage. Um, one, the people that were with him by the cross as he died. Uh, as we know, Jesus had 12 disciples. And along with that, many women and other people that followed him from town to town where he was ministering. Um But many of his friends, many of his closest, dearest friends left him in his most dire need, um, this time where he was dying. And the few people that stood there with him uh, were the disciple he loved, which we assume in this case is John. um, And many of the women that were following him, his mother and a few other, his aunt and a few other women, and so what's really awesome is that he gets to enter, uh, enter in close with these people as he is suffering and dying. Um, the best part, I think, about this passage is that Jesus, Jesus ushers in this new community um, with him passing on the cross. There's this void now that is left in the people that he surrounded himself with, his disciples and everybody that came around him. Um, Learn from his teachings, I think back to the Sermon on the Mount and how he ushered in this new kingdom um, that is supposed to be um, a new way of living that is divine and from the Father and the way he did that as he taught and he showed his closest friends um, what all of this means how to love your neighbor and how to respect authority and to how to get rid of anger things like that that we 've learned um, from Jesus' teachings. And so what he does here is he says, okay, well, I'm passing, so here's my mother and here is one of my closest friends. I want, I want my closest friend now to take care of my mother, thus filling this void that now Jesus is leaving in the community. And this community is now able to, because of what Jesus has taught, because of... Um, everything that jesus has shared with his disciples they now can have share in this community in relation to the father um he's not completed it and thus creating a new definition of family i also think back um to the story of jesus when he enters his hometown and he's teaching in the temple and there are people that come from outside and said hey like we don't really appreciate what you're doing your mother and your brothers are calling for you he said hey who are my mother and brothers? Like the people that are around me, this is this is what Jesus is teaching that the family that He ushers in is one that is um, that is divine in relation to the Father. Um, the physical presence um, of Jesus will not be void, but this community can continue in discipleship and love and care um, in relation to the Father. What is mo- what's most striking about this passage, passage and something that Adam really um, talked about earlier is the love and the attitude that Jesus displays uh, in this moment. Um, the fact that Jesus takes these painful breaths to bridge the community um, together is a testament to many things. The far places of pain and suffering that Jesus will go to look after those he cares for and he loves Um, Which is all of us and every every creation Um, The attitude of love that christ committed himself to was still present through Till till the end and through the end of his life His mind and his heart was more focused on others than on his own suffering on the cross Uh, I'll leave you with this Uh, Jesus's death is both a revelation of the love of god And an example of such self-giving love for the community, uh, for the body of believers, and for the rest of this world.
4: Hi, I'm Lindsay, and I have been coming to Mission Church for a couple of years now. I started out as a college student my freshman year, and I continued on until i was after college and i've still been here still helping out with college students still being a part of the post college group and it's a real blessing to be here after the ninth hour on the cross jesus cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me this occurs in matthew 27:46 and mark 15:34 At first glance, this seems like a moment of doubt from Jesus. Just as he in the garden earlier asked God the Father to take this cup from me, it seems as if Jesus maybe wasn't willing or ready for this. But this is not just a momentary lapse from Jesus. This is not a cry to God out of selfishness. This is a reference to a lament of David from Psalm 22, a lament that comes from a place of deep brokenness and pain, a lament that actually prophesies what's going to occur to Jesus on the cross. David writes, they have pierced my hands and feet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This also is a lament about his impending death to come. Not just his physical death, but rather a spiritual death. When Jesus dies on the cross, he takes on all of our sin, all of God's judgment, all the vile and terrible things that we are meant to be punished for. And in taking that on, in dying on the cross, Jesus is dying a spiritual death. He is about to enter into the darkest place, a place of loneliness and fear, a place completely and utterly separate from God, from his father. Jesus is not unwilling to take this on. He's dreading that separation. He's dreading being alone. He cries out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this is not just the cry of Jesus on the cross. This is the cry of every single person in this world. It is our pain, our fear, our hurt, our despair, our insecurity finally being given a voice. It is the cry of Jesus and therefore God fully entering into our brokenness and messiness and fully experiencing the spaces in our hearts where we feel completely separate from God because of our sin. Jesus cries out in anguish and despair over this separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we feel despised, rejected, abused, forgotten, Jesus knows what we feel and he cries out for us, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we feel abandoned by God, when we feel like we'll never be good enough for him, Jesus knows what we feel and he cries out for us, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? when terrible things continue to happen in this world and we wonder why it seems that God is doing nothing, Jesus knows what we feel and he cries out for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we ask ourselves if justice will ever become a reality in our lifetime or question whether justice is really worth it, jesus knows what we feel and he cries out for us my god my god why have you forsaken me and jesus feels with us and he uses the words of this psalm this lament to give a voice to the pain and anguish that we feel daily but jesus also knows that this is not the end of his lament David writes in Psalm 22, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Jesus is not forsaken. We are not forsaken. Though we may feel forsaken, and we do because of our sin, Because of our separation from God, we are not forsaken. God is right there calling out to us, holding us, crying with us, loving us. Jesus carried out our sin and separation on the cross, but he too knew that one day he would be with God again.
5: My name is Ellen, and I've been coming to college group since the end of my freshman year, so it's been about three years now, um, and I'm set to graduate in about three weeks, so I'll be joining a post college group. Um, I'm reading from John 19:28, 28, um, and I'm actually going to include verse 29 in here. Um, it says, After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, In order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. So the first question I had when I was reading this was, was his fulfilling prophetic word really just, I'm thirsty? And the second question was, what exactly, I mean, if it's not, then what exactly is that um, scripture that he's fulfilling and, and what's the importance of all this? So, um... After reading it again, and, and after looking at some cross-references, I found that the phrase, I am thirsty, served as kind of a catalyst for fulfilling this prophecy um, that's found in Psalm 69, verse 21. And Psalm 69 is um, a lament to, uh, that of David um, for persecution from his enemies. And the verse says, they gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. So that's one of the earliest references to this drink, this sour wine that is served when one is being crucified. Um, and so I assumed that from that, his enemies want him to die because they're serving him poison and they're serving him this drink that's associated with crucifixion. Um, in a similar way, uh, there's also this also ties to the symbolism of the cup. That Lindsay mentioned earlier Um, in John 18 when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come Peter draws his sword and attacks one of the soldiers but Jesus responds put your sword back into its sheath am I not to drink the cup that the father has given me and so I did a little more research and cup mean is a metaphor for Jesus's suffering and his eventual death Um, furthermore In this context, it's described as something he's fully accepted and something that he's willing to stand for. And so in this, in John 19, when um, he's receiving the wine from the soldiers, I see that as him uh, taking, accepting that gift, but also seeing it out to its very end, even though he knows where he's headed after he dies a physical death, that he's headed for. The worst place you could possibly imagine times a million is hell. And in order to fulfill what he set out to do, which is to save us from our sins. And so I see that as extreme humility for one thing, because he had every reason to say no and to say, you know what, God, I, you know, I just can't do this anymore. I think someone else should do it. But he took it on, and he saw it through. That's commitment. (laughs) It's commitment, and it's complete adherence and obedience to God's plan and and complete trust, which is huge, and I was really struck by that. And so I'm going to finish by sharing a quote from a book by John Ortberg called Who Is This Man? And it talks a lot about who Jesus is and how countercultural he was. Um, But on page 82 um, he says what was noted about Jesus is that he chose this suffering What may be the earliest writing about him said that he humbled himself In the Roman Empire someone might be humbled by losing money or status or title No one deliberately humbled himself until now
2: Uh, my name is Gabe. Um, <clears throat> I've been coming here, attending this church since first grade. <laughs> um, most recently, uh, being involved with the college group. Um, and I'm going to talk about uh, being finished. So, uh, John 19:29 through 30 <clears throat> says a jar of wine vinegar was there so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the he plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips when he had received the drink Jesus said it is finished, with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit and uh so I was asked to uh, reflect on this and it gave me a lot of trouble um It really stumped me. Uh, My mind drew lots of blanks um, and different fragments of different ways that I wanted to take it. But uh, so, yeah, so that made me really nervous. Um, I was really scared that I was going to come up here and not have anything to say. Um, But then it kind of hit me very last minute (laughs) that um, maybe there was a point to my mind not thinking of anything, uh, immediately. Um, I, I was suddenly reminded of the stillness, quiet, and nothingness of death. And, um, yeah, and I just came to the conclusion that, uh, Maybe that's what Jesus was trying to show me through this. Um, I was reminded that, uh, although sad, um, his suffering did end. Um, The suffering that he went through for me and for everyone. Um, And I was just reminded the melancholy, peacefulness um, of Jesus' spirit leaving his body. And um, reflecting on nothingness, I was reminded of a quote of someone that I look up highly to, and it was um, in the middle of a sermon where he was saying, when we die, if, if we die and we go to heaven and there's no pearly gates, there's no golden roads. Um, And it's just Jesus And there's nothing there Will that be enough? Because when he found me I had nothing to give And Just reflecting on this verse uh, Really brought me back to that And Just Being content with the fact that his work on earth was accomplished and um, his suffering was over. So, yeah.
6: Hi, my name's Noel and I'm a part of the college group here. And I would like to take you through Luke 23:44 through 46 as well as a reflection I've had on this passage. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a large, large voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. It is curious that we, well, not we, authors, well, not authors, translators of the Bible, want to identify to the audience um, what Jesus is saying by specifically making it red. Red like your child's toy car, which turns into a husband and a father's real life, life life-size car. Red like ladybugs that land on flowers and are collected by little girls who become young women who now collect flowers from lovers. Red like the cross that was only red because Jesus was shedding his life out of obedience to his Father and out of love for us. Even nature mourned Jesus for the sun, S-U-N, stopped shining because the sun's S-O-N, light, was being put out. Jesus, the little child who read from the Old Testament scrolls, transformed into the holy man whose red words from the pages of our Bibles brought salvation to us all. Now, is it not interesting to see that before we read the words of Jesus, we read the verb loud? On the verge of death, how often do you hear one speak loudly? These words must be of importance. These words must hold some kind of secret to having a better relationship with God logically well let us read it together father into your hands i commit my spirit to commit one's spirit is in full consciousness to put one's faith in god and the plans he has in place for us being christian does not dictate an easy life but the temple's curtain that was torn into allowed the presence of god to go out in our own obedience and in our own faith, God's will, we can fully come to accept Jesus' sacrifice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Presents the idea of intimacy and trust and personal surrender. These words were spoken out to the masses, and, but first they were spoken to his father in prayer. This makes his statement one more of deep, intimate vulnerability. Perhaps food for thought is taking a greater sense of vulnerability in our own prayers, as Jesus did here as he's on the cross in front of people watching him cry out in prayer as he dies. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is ultimately a passage of trust, 33 years of life committed to one journey full of moments that made to impact people. This is another moment amongst many that teach a different aspect of vulnerability This is a kind of defenselessness that requires the surrendering of our own desire to be in control and to offer it to God. This is the epitome of the seven words, the surrendering of ourselves in the same way that Jesus surrendered, was beaten, was accused, was killed for our transgressions. So when you read those red words, wow, red words, perhaps this can be seen as a personal prayer. To make those words your own today.
7: I will be reading from Isaiah 53. Words that were written 700 years before Jesus even appeared on the scene. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep. That before his tears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man to his death, although he had done no violence.